Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in this week after Easter as we look at a great invitation, an invitation to stay in the room as we watch what Jesus does. I hope this podcast encourages you, enriches your life, and causes you to live further after the things of God. Enjoy. think when he opens his mouth, he creates. The power of that, when he opens his mouth, he creates. And so, today I want to talk for just a few minutes about moving Jesus to the room. Moving Jesus to the room. There's a passage of scripture in Mark chapter 5 that I oftentimes go to. It's uh, one of my favorite scriptures. You hear me say that every week. It's one of my favorite stories uh, in the Gospels, um, probably because it was one of the very first areas that God gave me, I felt like, something that was revelatory, where I could see something deeper than just the words on the page. And I got excited about that. And, and so I, I go to this often, and it's amazing how when we go there, it, it can be different, and God can speak to us differently in many ways and many times. And he, he began to open some things to me through this passage of Scripture, and we'll get to that in just a moment. There, there one particular line in here, or a couple of verses, that just really jumped out on the page. But I want to tell the story, or better yet, let the Scripture tell the story. So if you can, go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 21, and we're going to go all the way through 43. We're going to leave out a middle portion of that uh, just because it's not the primary subject that I'm looking at within this story because Jesus gets a little side step in his journey to do a great miracle for a a ruler by the name of Jairus. But in verse 21 it says, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by that name, And seeing him, he fell at his feet, and imploring him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. So that she may be made well. I don't know about you, but uh, this also speaks pretty loudly and clearly to me because I'm a father of daughters. I have three beautiful daughters. I think they're not in the room. Oh, they're all back there. They're hiding behind a table. They're quiet for once, but uh, they're, they're, I have this tendency when I see a father hurting because of his sick and dying daughter, I tend to be drawn into the story, and for those of you that are parents or now grandparents, I think you could relate to this story also, that you would probably do anything in your power to see to it that your child would be cared for if they were in some kind of sickness or danger. I think you would go to the ends of the earth, you would raise all kinds of funds, you would uh, rob a bank, I don't know, I'm not condoning robbing a bank today, but I think we would do anything that it would take to move something towards the effect of our one that we love to become better. And this is what this ruler has done, I think it was probably in an area where it was not going to be the ideal for this ruler to go after this one Jesus who is 
really um, not favored among uh, leaders in the area, but he does. He goes after him. He wanders through a, a heavily crowded area and he approaches Jesus in desperation to the point that he, a ruler, somebody that is used to people coming to his feet, now he makes himself humble and he bows him feet, his feet before Jesus and he pleads with him that he would lay his hands on her that she, so that she would be made well and live. And in verse 24 it says, And then he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And then there's a, an area where a woman comes and distracts Jesus for a moment. And I love that in the moment that it seems like Jesus is distracted by something else, he has never lost sight of the plan and the purpose he has to move on our behalves. And that's another message for another day. So we skip to verse 35 and it says, While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some had said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? You see, on this man's journey to meet Jesus, Some would say that most likely his daughter was so sick that before he even got to Jesus, she had probably succumbed to her illness and passed away. And and this is a a pretty gut-wrenching moment where he has to hear the confirmation of probably what he already knew in his heart had come to pass. These people come and say, don't bother the teacher any further. But then Jesus does something so powerful in this passage here. He in words of comfort, says something that many of us need to hear in our circumstances when we're faced with moments that are too late. It appears that it's impossible for God to move. It seems like it's beyond the moment in which God can step in and intervene on our behalf. We've gone past the the stepping off point. It is too late. Too little, too late. We've heard that phrase. But Jesus... In verse 36, it says, Overhearing what they said, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. If you're one that writes in your Bible, you might circle or underline that word, only. Because there's an exhortation here centered on that one word that says, only believe. Don't listen to, don't focus on, don't be distracted by what seems like the facts that are surrounding you because Jesus has this ability to go beyond the tangible things in front of us and if we would but only believe then at a moment's notice or in just a, he can deliver upon a promise. You see, earlier on, he made a promise by his actions. You've heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words. When Jairus went to Jesus earlier on and said, Come with me, lay your hands on her that she may be well. In verse 35 and in, in 20, or in 23, wow, that was weird. In 24, the promise might not have been spoken in word, but it was implied in the fact that Jesus went with Jairus. Had Jesus passed him off, turned away, ignored him, we would know that there was no intention on Jesus' part to do something on this young woman's behalf. This 12-year-old will discover later on. But we find out that in the motion of moving towards, we see that the promise was Jesus is going to answer his prayer. And so when we gather in places like this and we worship and we have needs and we have sicknesses or things that are coming upon us, there are promises that God has told us in his word but by the action of merely showing up that we can bank on the fact that he is going to do what he said he is going to do. 
not fear. Do not fear. Only believe. And in verse 37, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brothers of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion People weeping and wailing loudly. In verse 39 it says, When he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. It's said that there was a belief that these people were actually paid. They were professional mourners standing around to, to, to do something. I, I don't understand why people would, would be here professionally Morning. I don't know if it makes them feel better, but these people were not there to encourage the situation towards a good outcome whatsoever. And in verse 40, it came to the point that they even laughed at Jesus. But He, Jesus, put them outside and He took the child's father and mother and those who were with Him and He went where the child was. I want you to remember verse 40 closely because we're going to address that in a very significant and a very real way. Way, but I want you to see very clearly that in a moment Jesus is going to do something. And I'll tell you today, God's going to do something and He's promised it by His action and His motion towards this place. And He's going to do it with you or He's going to do it without you. But He's going to do it. And in verse 41, taking her by the hand, He said to her, um, a phrase which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was, here it is, 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Now I want to look for just a brief moment at four observations about getting Jesus to move to this room. Four observations I found in this passage of Scripture about getting Jesus to move to the room. And we find in the first four cha- uh, verses, 21 through 24, that this is where the, the, um, the ruler comes to Jesus and he falls at Jesus' feet and Jesus does something. Observation one, Jesus does respond to a need. I think it's safe to say everyone in here at some point, if not currently, has a need where we need intervention, that it's beyond our ability to handle and control. There is something that we may be believing God for, that we need Him to intervene. But the important thing to realize is that all throughout Scripture, when Jesus does something significant, there was a need there in place for Him to move. So when we need Jesus to move towards a room, the understanding is this, He responds to our need. He responds to our need. And we saw that in verse 24, and it says, And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him. Verse 35, 36, and 37, we see something significant again in recapping where the the people, the family, come to Jairus and say, Your daughter is dead. Don't bother him. And we talked about that phrase where it says, Do not fear, only fear. Believe, And in our second observation today, we see that Jesus requires belief. So if we understand that Jesus responds to our need, there would be an element of belief that we have on our, on our part. And Jesus requires that we believe that he can do it. He is moved by our faith. He is, we access the miracle that he has for us when we believe that he can and that he will. 
And that's a great thing to hold on to. But we've got to believe. And there's that little thing there which says, do not fear. I think there's times that we can look at things face to face in fear. Afraid of what the outcome may be. But where there is fear, there can never be belief. And so in those moments when we hold on to the belief, then fear must go because when we believe in Jesus, the Bible says that He is love and perfect love casts out all fear. And so in this moment, we get to hold on to Jesus Christ, the one who casts out fear and we believe in Him. Observation number two. Then in the next three verses, we see something significant. Those 39 and 40, especially in 40, when they were laughing at Jesus as He approached the house, the daughter is dead. He says, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. They mock Him. And here's the thing that we can believe and we can trust. And we see it very clearly. He says to them, or He says here in verse 40, and He put them outside. Observation number three, Jesus removes the doubters. Jesus removes the doubters. He removes those that point fingers at you and say it can't be done. He takes away the insignificant with his significance. He takes away those that would say that there's no way. And he says, I am the way. I'll say that again. He takes and he looks at those people that tell you there is no way. And he says, I am the way. Way. And when we focus on Him, we cannot even imagine or even hear the doubters because Jesus is faithful and He removes the doubters. And then in the next three verses, He walks into the room and He lays His hands on her and He speaks these words, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, say immediately, immediately the little girl got up and she began walking And they were immediately overcome with amazement. You see, something happens here when we get to observe what Jesus is doing. When we get to see the hand of God at work. When we've walked through the fact that He's responded. And that He requires something and that He removes those things that get in the way. We find ourselves in a position where our standard is raised. In this moment, Jesus raises our Standard. Our standard of what we thought was before is now something that is finalized in His spoken word. You see, she was dead and now she is alive. You see, you were struggling to, to meet something by a deadline, but now you have. You see, you had a sickness personally and now you no longer had a, have a sickness. You have a financial need, but yet God supplies all of your needs. You had a circumstance that was bigger than what you were able to handle before Jesus intervened. And when He intervened, you were able to overcome something that was bigger than yourself And in so doing, the standard by which you could do things was raised. Jesus raises our standard. Four great but quick observations about moving Jesus to the room. But I have a little surprise or maybe a secret for you. Really, I called this message today, Moving Jesus to the Room. But I could subtitle it. it. I could do something a little different. And I could actually have said, don't let him ask you to leave. 
But see, that title would not have made sense if I didn't get us to this point. Don't you be the one that Jesus asks to leave. For it's in that second observation that makes or breaks what he invites us in to be part of. And it's in the belief portion. Do you believe that he can do it? Or do you deny that he can do it? Because I'm going to tell you, he's going to do it, like I said, with or without you. And upon the belief that he will do it, he says, come on in and partake. Upon your doubt, he says, you cannot be in this room. You've got to step out. You can't be in here. You can't witness. You can't see this because you're not going to believe it anyway. What Jesus does, he's going to do. But are you going to be invited in or asked to leave? There's another story that I saw uh, as I was preparing for this morning that shows me an opportunity where Jesus asks somebody in to participate in what he's doing. And this goes all the way back to the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 4. You see, there was this woman that built a room for the man of God, for a prophet. A simple room, a little room. It had a a bed and a table and a lamp so that he could rest on his travels. And I imagine it was a place where he could connect with God and and pray and seek Him on behalf of things. And and as a result of this, this, this man, this prophet Elisha, he went to this woman. Well, let's just read the scriptures together. Verse 8, it says, One day Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So wherever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, and a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. When he called her, he stood before him, or she stood before him, and he said, say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my people. And he said, what then is there to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, he stood in the doorway, and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, and Elisha, as Elisha had said to her. Now, skipping a few, well, no, we're not. When, when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers and said to his father, oh, My head, my head. The father said to the servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed, and the man of God shut the door behind him and went out. Where did she take the son? To the room. To the place where the man would rest. Where he would find connection with God. And at this point, she goes on a, quick journey to find the man of God, to bring him back. I think she was holding on to this thing that he promised me something. I've got to believe. We could almost look at the progression of of thoughts that in this moment the man of God is going to be in a position where he can respond to a need. There's going to be a moment where the belief is seen where she goes after him. Check this out. When Elisha came to the house after she's gone out to bring him back 
he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and he shut the door behind the two of them and he prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. When he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him, the child sneezed seven times. The child opened his eyes. And look at this, verse 36. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. What did he do? He called the Shunammite to the room to witness the miracle. He called the Shunammite to partake in what God had done. Pick up your son. And she came and she fell at his feet, bowing on the ground, and she picked up her son and went out. See, she was invited into the room. My question, are you being invited into the room? In Acts chapter 1, Jesus instructs his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And they waited together in a room. They waited in a room. In unity, in one accord. Waiting for something great to be poured out. They were invited into a room. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In this moment, the church is birthed in a powerful way. One of the greatest sermons is ever preached. And thousands of people come to know Jesus as a result of people being invited into the room. What can happen when you are invited? into the room I ask you in this place today are you being invited into the room and I can confidently say yes if you believe God is going to and can do you are the one you are invited into the room and just like the Shunammite you are invited to partake in the miracle take up your son take up whatever it is that you're waiting on God to do and watch it come to pass watch God move on your behalf. But then there's one more room we're great, invited to share in. It's the greatest room. It's the tomb. You see, we're invited to share in His resurrection. We are invited to share in the greatest thing that has set us apart, that has caused us to have access to the very presence of God, that has caused us to have access to a victorious life, that has done the final sacrifice. The room that we have been invited into is a victorious life through the resurrected life. So in closing, why don't we all turn together, it'll be on the screen, to Philippians 3. Philippians 3, verse 8. And the author here says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. There's nothing like knowing Jesus. The day I was confronted with the 
revelation of who Jesus was. Everything that meant nothing to me now, or something to me now means nothing to me. Because it pales in comparison to who Jesus Christ is. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Is it really lost? Because he says, I count them as rubbish. Why? He says, because in order that I may gain Christ. Those things, those other things, it may appear that I have suffered loss, but I have gained Christ. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, I, I, I might have been able to follow the Sabbath and eat the right things and, and do all of these do's and don'ts and everything. And none of that is the righteousness that I need. I haven't found my righteousness that comes from those. He says in the latter part of verse 9, but that which comes through faith, point number two, in Christ, the righteousness from God, that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and I may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in death. That by any means possible, I may attain resurrection from the dead. That I may live forever. That I may have the benefits of eternal living. That heaven may be my home someday. That Jesus is the best way. That I no longer have an inferior approach to living life. But I have a superior approach. And it's called the encounter with Jesus Christ. And He is inviting you to this room today called the tomb. The resurrected life. Because the tomb I am inviting you in into today is not one in which you are laid to rest in death, but it is one in which you walk out alive with Christ Jesus. So I would ask you in my second closing, what is your need that Jesus can respond to? How can we help you have the belief? It's when those two come together, doubters are removed. And what is our standard? I said earlier, Jesus raises our standard. No, Jesus is our standard. <laughs> well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, Should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, WLMiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.